Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And today is a special program. I'm not even exactly sure how to describe it because it's different than what we normally talk about. You know, normally we're talking about marketing, we're talking about social media, we're talking about all the kind of nuts and bolts of how to make your business successful. And sometimes that's not enough. You know, there's there's all these various things. And today is a program I really am looking forward to today. And part of it is because of the book that our guest um, has written. I read it and absolutely loved it. Didn't even tell him that yet. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's it is it, today really is going to be a feel good program. And the reason why this is so important to everyone is it is something that I think we all want and need to strive for, and that's to have the American dream. And for those of our listeners who aren't in the, the United States, which we do have, you know, we'll, we'll describe that. We'll let you know what that means. And, and I know that you have your own equivalent, but we'll call it the American dream. Um, so please join me in welcoming Gary Sirak to our program today. Welcome, Gary. Uh, thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. You know, this really is going to be a fun program. And it, 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 especially because of the subject matter. You know, I love all of my guests. I love all of the knowledge that we have. But reading your book last night, it was one of those that every chapter I went, oh, you know, and I'm not talking kumbaya, you know, all of those. It was just kind of one of those, wow, you know, and 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 feel good. I mean, it really was feel good type of, of things. But let me tell pe- uh, people just a little bit about you so they know what the heck we're talking about. So Gary Sirek has been helping other people achieve their American dream for the last 35 years. He is president of Sirek Financial Services in Canton, Ohio, a company founded by his father, Stan Sirek, in 1957. The company will celebrate its 60th anniversary this year. Gary has written two books, the first, If Your Money Talked, What Secrets Would It Tell?, which is about personal finance and the most common mistakes people make with their money. So many people make the same mistakes again and again with their money that Gary decided to actually do something about it. The second, <coughs> excuse me, is the book that we're going to be talking about primarily, and it's The American Dream Revisited. Ordinary People, Extraordinary Results, and it is a deeply personal topic for Gary. While it's true that it was a serendipitous conversation at a coffee shop that spurred him to write it, the ideas and beliefs of the book have been with him for his entire life. So again, Gary, welcome. Thank you, and appreciate that you enjoyed the book. It's uh, always nice to hear good things when you put that much work into something. Well, and, you know, it, it's it's a quick read. It's only about 140 pages long. But, you know, I, I do read every book that my guests are, are wanting to talk about. I know that's a I've actually discovered that's a little unusual. Most most, you know, they don't do that. But how in the heck can I talk about it with you if I haven't read it? But as I, you know, a lot of those books are marketing, they're sales, they're, you know, motivating all these various things. And so I can kind of skim them to get the gist of what they're talking about. Your book, I read word for word. I really did because I was enjoying it, um, you know, and and it was it really was a book that I thought, wow, you know, this this is so cool. So, you know, as I mentioned, let's kind of take a step back. And and what is in your definition, the American dream? Well, it's funny because the <laughs> definition I had originally is, was very different than what I ended up with. Uh-huh. The, the American dream to me today is opportunity. Mm-hmm. I, I think what America provides truthfully is opportunity, and I think that is everywhere if you open up your eyes and look for it. Mm-hmm. And originally, I thought the American dream was getting rich, and but after I interviewed right. 25 people, I realized that wasn't it at all, and it wasn't really in my mind either, but I, I really had this outside view that said, 
this guy's rich. I'll bet that was his dream. I was wrong. So I kept interviewing these people. I was wrong every time, Deb. Mm-hmm. And so I finally said, okay, I clearly get the American dream isn't what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing about it is the people I interviewed, what it really came down to in all of them was food, clothing, and shelter. Okay. And they were all striving to provide for themselves, their mm-hmm. families, and that's really what the American dream was. It wasn't about getting rich. It wasn't about hitting the lotto. It wasn't about owning you know, the Milwaukee Bucks or the Cleveland Cavaliers. Mm-hmm. It was about being successful to the point where you could provide for your family. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and being successful is such a, a funny definition, you know, because it, it is different for every single person. You know, I remember <clears throat> many years ago when I had my 10th high school reunion and holy schmoly, it was many years ago. And, you know, it, it was one of those typical high school reunions where you give out awards, who came the furthest, who has the most kids, all those various things. And one person said, let's give out an award for the most successful. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, okay. And how do you describe that? You know, is it you're making the most money? You've got the biggest house. I said, because the people who have four kids that they absolutely love and are devoted to and barely have two nickels to rub together may say that they're the most successful. You know, and and so that really is a term that it, it does mean something very different for every single person. And I agree with you completely. In fact, it's funny, as you're mentioning that, I was thinking about one of my clients who's a doctor, mm-hmm. who's made a good living, put four kids through college, and he just retired. And we're, we're putting together his finances, and he's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But had he not paid for his kids' college and all the things he did, he would have been rich. But he's right. not rich. He's now just comfortable. Mm-hmm. But he can't go crazy. He's not going to go out and jet-setting around the world. He's going to just have a nice life. Mm-hmm. But literally, I would call him one of the most successful people. People I know. Right. You know, and, and it is, uh, you know, and, and truly for some people, it is about the money. Um, you know, and, and that's great. If that's their definition, that's perfectly fine. But as you mentioned, it is more about kind of how your heart feels at the end of the day. I mean, you know, that's kind of a weird definition of it. But that, that's kind of what I was thinking. You know, when you go to sleep, do you think, wow, I love this life? You know, and, and or are you caught on that treadmill of, <laughs> I have to do this. I have to do that. And oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And, you know, and, and so many people I think are caught on that treadmill, um, you know, and, and, and we, we have the expression that we're chasing the American dream, yeah. um, you know, and, and I think so many people don't even know what their dream is, you know, and, and I'll be honest, as I was reading your book, I was thinking, hmm, if I were to get my American dream, or, you know, get get all my, what would that mean? You know, and, and so, you know, I think that is kind of one of the first things we don't even know. You know, it's, it's it, you know, it's kind of the old theory about art. You know what it is when you see it. You know, how do we know if we've achieved the American dream unless we've achieved the American dream? And, and you have such a great point. When I, I interviewed so many people and asked them what their American dream was, and they look at me like I'm on another planet, mm-hmm. um, they had no clue. Right. And, and the, real, the reality of it is many were just trapped uh, chasing their trappings, if that makes any sense. <laughs> right. They were just looking to you know, buy this and buy that and, and have more of this and more of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that wasn't the American dream. So it was very fascinating. Other thing that I learned is that every, everyone who I talked to in the system, they're American dream was very different. The more successful they became, the older they became, whatever happened, mm-hmm. it just kept evolving. Right. And so one dream turned into 15 dreams. Mm-hmm. And in fact, one gentleman in particular said, Gary, I never envisioned I would be where I was at when I was 30 or 40 or 50 or 60. Mm-hmm. He lived to be 85. He he just was amazed at how his dream kept shifting because his life changed. Mm-hmm. And, and that actually makes a whole lot of sense to me because as I deal with people and their money and finances and their lives and their families, it's it's a moving target. There is no right. set set number. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it does change, you know, because part of it, you know, say say you are a parent. I mean, your dream might be for your child to graduate from high school and get a good scholarship, or for your you know uh, for your spouse to get that promotion, you know, whatever it is. And and I think that's one of the things that people maybe struggle with is the fact that they think it's an unattainable goal. And, you know, and and it's and once they get it, what the heck do they do? 
Oh, I agree. And and it's like, no, you have to shift and move on. What's next? Well, it's so interesting you mentioned that. So one of my best friends, actually, I write about him in a book. His name's Barry Edelman, and he and I kind of had this discussion. Mm -hmm. And and Barry, they had four children and great kids. Their oldest or their youngest is in college right now. He just started last year. Mm -hmm. And his his wife, Michelle, who's a wonderful person, really misses having kids around. So they started adopting rescue dogs that were mm-hmm. pregnant. And oh, they just had six cow. beagles. Yeah, so they had six beagles. beagles. Yeah. we have beagles. Okay, so it, I mean, but I've it, they've had all kinds of dogs mm-hmm. that have shown up in their house and they've kept them. And in a way, it's it's sort of, in a strange way, replaced the kids because mm-hmm. she's now mothering the pups right. and she's very happy mm-hmm. and it's cool. So you, you just look and you say, wow, you know, did you ever think you'd be that's what your your calling would be to mother mm-hmm. a bunch of dogs and the answer is no but right. that's where you are today so mm-hmm. fascinating how this works isn't it great yeah well, cool. you know you you mentioned that this kind you know in in our bio that i read you mentioned that this kind of came from a serendipitous conversation that you overheard so tell us about that so I'm addicted to mochas. Um, I just drink them every morning and mm-hmm. I stop at various coffee shops. There's actually four of them on my way to work within about a five mile drive. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in fact, I'm probably in my office in seven minutes and I could stop at one of four places. <laughs> so I, uh, I stopped this one morning at Karma Cafe. And a Karma Cafe is right down the street from my building where I work out of. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting at a table about 8 o'clock in the morning, and I'm drinking my mocha, minding my own business. And as I tell people, I was thinking about my day, my week, my month, my life. I don't really remember, mm-hmm. but I plan things out pretty much every day, Deb. So that was one of those days where I just was planning things out, thinking. And all of a sudden, I noticed kind of four college students sat down right behind me. And they started having a discussion mm-hmm. about the American dream as they were drinking their coffee. And I perked up. I, I don't know why I perked up, but I did. And I started listening to their conversation and ignoring what I was doing. And three of them were very, very negative. One referred to it as the American disaster. Ah. And I I'd listened, and that was disturbing. Mm-hmm. And then one who had not said anything and, and again, their, their points were valid points. You know, one said, man, college debt is killing me. My credit mm-hmm. card's killing me. Uh, the job market's tight, all that stuff, which, and, and I listened to it. And then the one who hadn't said anything chirped in and said, okay, I don't agree with you guys. I think I'm going to get a good job. I'll pay off my loans. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a good life. And they slammed him. He didn't have a oh. So they, they shopped him up and, and he stopped talking. And mm-hmm. pretty soon they changed subjects and whatever. And I kind of got up and left. And as I told people that day, I walked out of the karma cafe with very bad karma. Right. I was not in a good mood when I walked out of the building. Mm-hmm. So about three nights later, the middle of the night, I woke up and I said, I've got to do something. This is just wrong. Mm-hmm. We can't have young college students graduating with that bad of an attitude right? and and so negative. And that's really what spurred me on. And I decided to write the book about four o'clock in the morning <laughs> mm-hmm. on, a, on a Thursday night. So yeah, crazy, but that's how it all happened. Right. So in the book, you interview 13 different people. How did you decide who to interview? And, and I'm assuming you actually interviewed more than 13, but how did you decide, you know, who to even talk to? Well, it was kind of an interesting way I did. I did interview about 25 people, and I narrowed it down to 13. And the 25 people, what I found, it, I, I knew a few people myself, mm-hmm. but what I really did is I went up to other people and said, who's the most interesting person you know who's still living? Okay. And they said, well, I know this person. I said, well, make some interesting. They would tell me. I said, well, okay. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I wasn't interested in what they thought was interesting. I said, well, okay. So I probably... I probably knocked that list down from maybe 50 to 25. Mm-hmm. And because some of them, I just said, nah, they don't really fit. And that's good. And I'm glad right. they did that. But that wouldn't be in my book. So I ended up getting uh, really everyone sending who they knew and who they thought would be interesting for me to talk to. And I started interviewing all these people literally all over the country from all mm-hmm. kinds of different parts of the world and having conversations. And then if I liked the conversation, if I felt they were valid and I could make sure that it was true. I started getting serious and writing their chapters. You know, and they're from, as you mentioned, all walks of life, you know, all sorts of, of different locations. 
And I love how you you broke their chapters out into kind of what they did. So, um, you know, an artist is, is one that's coming to me off the top of my head. But you, you did have 13 different people. In, now, does that include yourself? Because I know you you are you you feature your your own story. But, you know, each one has a different and I hate to say industry, but, um, you know, like I said, you know, you had an artist, yeah. you had, you know, all these various different people who had different walks of life that they've gone down. Totally. And and I tried to pick people that I thought would be interesting to read about and who had a sense of humor that just had a sense about them that if I could tell their story in the right way, I would have done a good job. And, mm -hmm. and that's what I was really just trying to convey what they told me and put it on paper and not blow people away with a 300-page book. Mm -hmm. I, I find short books are easier to absorb than long ones, right. unless it's a you know Lee Child, a Jack Reacher story or something mm -hmm. like that, or right. John Grisham or those yeah, guys. One of those that you just can't put down. Right. I, I, I wasn't sure I would be in that category, so uh, I wrote a short book. But but mm -hmm. the story, the thing that's interesting is that as I would interview these people, uh, I just found more out about them than I ever dreamed, and mm -hmm. the stories would just evolve in ways I never envisioned because I'd have a, a set of questions that I would use, and then I would find myself so far on a left turn or a right turn, I couldn't mm -hmm. believe it. I wasn't even, maybe I wasn't even in the same page. Right. So it was kind of fascinating. Cool. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you start with talking about your own life and your father because, you know, he was kind of doing the American grind for for quite a long time and then things changed. So let's let's talk about your background. Yeah, my dad my dad, uh, World War II uh, pilot in the Navy and ended up never really getting overseas, which is good. Mm -hmm. But he came back, worked for my grandfather who had a distributing company, a beer and wine distributing company, which actually was doing really well and then doing very poorly. My dad my grandfather's company shut down. My dad lost his job. And then my grandfather moved in with us, which was, we were in a very small home anyhow, and it got mm -hmm. a lot smaller when my grandfather moved and my sister was born. And pretty soon we had six people living in a house for three. Mm -hmm. And it was it was tight quarters. So maybe four if you stretched it, but it was pretty tight everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the existence. But my grandfather losing his company, my dad losing his job, all of a sudden there was no money. Right. So my parents spent a tremendous amount of time trying to figure out how to pay bills, which they didn't have money to pay. Mm -hmm. So they managed that uh, not in a great way, but as well as they could because mm -hmm. you can't do things with nothing. Right. So my father found a job selling life insurance, which he thought was always something he would be interested in, but mm -hmm. never really thought he would end up doing that. And also having to sell shoes on the weekend because he needed income and he wasn't making any money selling insurance. Mm -hmm. So that's how this all kind of came to be. And my dad really hated selling shoes. He would, I know you mentioned in the book he'd come home and wash his hands multiple times. Oh God, yeah. He, I mean, it's funny what you have images. I mean, we're talking about something that happened, uh, gosh, sixty years ago, mm -hmm. and I remember it like it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. I mean, I literally can see my father at the sink just scrubbing his hands, and mm -hmm. and he was just so unhappy doing that. He hated it. So mm -hmm. all of a sudden, my father got some education in the insurance industry, which was what he needed. He was very, very smart, but he wanted to have that extra education. As soon as he got that, it's like a a light switch flipped, and all of a sudden, he became more successful and started producing a revenue that we could live on so he could mm -hmm. deep six the shoes. <laughs> right. And yeah, that was a celebration in itself. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I love that, you know, it, it seems like you, you mentioned, you know, that, that your family struggled financially. And so maybe that's what led you to help other people with their finances. Um, you know, the, the one of the themes that I picked up through the book was, you know, one of the things that your parents did was once they were financially secure, you know, and, and that's obviously different levels for different people, they gave back. And so many people in your chapters did, the, you know, the, the same thing to whatever level they can. You know, they they were helped at some point in their life. And so now they help others. Exactly, Deb. In fact, it was that was one of the common threads throughout everyone I interviewed. In fact, that was one of the separators between who I wrote about and who I didn't in the interviews. Mm -hmm. If I didn't find they had a charitable side, I was more inclined to pass on them. 
Mm-hmm. And and what I ended up doing is passing on everyone that didn't have a charitable side. Mm-hmm. And I decided they didn't really fit what I was trying to accomplish in this book. And I like that side of the, of everyone's personality. And they all did give back and some in dramatic, incredible ways and some mm-hmm. in very small ways, but always people helping people. And I think that came through my parents. In fact, I'll never forget. Um, and I did mention this in the book, though. I was we moved into a new home. And for the first time in my life, I wasn't sleeping in my brother's room, which mm-hmm. I always felt like I was because it was his room before I was there. Right. And then they moved uh, me in and it never, it, you know, I had my little corner and it was, and he had the rest of the room. So it was mm-hmm. like, uh, that's the way the game was played. He was and big, you put a poster up only if he approved it. Uh, yeah. And I didn't get any posters. So anyway, mm-hmm. so he just, it was his room and I was an invader from space mm-hmm. or something. So it wasn't great. But when we moved to the new house, I had my own bedroom. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, I could do what I wanted to do when I had my own, and no one could mess with my room. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm a little bit anal, so I would have things, you know, that I set up my room the way I wanted it set up, mm-hmm. right? And, and no one no one invaded my room, so it mm-hmm. was really really nice. But I remember one night we were sitting there having dinner, and I was again I was pretty young, and and I asked my parents some questions, and I brought up the idea that my dad started talking about some charitable thing he was doing, and I was concerned because I was really validly worried that maybe they would give so much money away mm-hmm. we'd have to move back to the other house. And my mom and dad just cracked up. They thought mm-hmm. that was the funniest thing they ever heard. I did not think it was funny at all. Right. It was a serious concern for you. But they just thought it was kind of hysterical. They said, oh, no, no, we're okay. I said, well, you're giving so much money away. I said, no, no, mm-hmm. we're fine, Gary. It's okay. And and so that was my first introduction to kind of charitable things and, mm-hmm. and doing things for other people. And then they explained to me how they were doing, what they were doing, and I listened. And I was kind of, uh, I was the middle child, and I was kind of, always tuned into things that maybe other people weren't tuned into. It's one of those things where I paid attention at the dinner table to conversations that no one else listened to. Mm -hmm. I just was always quiet, very quiet, and uh, reserved beyond, I guess, uh, shy would be another word, painful Mm -hmm. shy, but I listened. So I heard what they said, and then I would ask very few questions and get my answers. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, being charitable can involve giving money. You know, it can also involve giving time, you know, being a mentor, you know, that's that's one of the themes also in your book is that many, most all of the the people who are in the book had great mentors that they learned from, you know, your father had one, you had, you know, multiple mentors. And I think that's something that, you know, somebody who becomes successful might think about is how can they help somebody else achieve their dreams? And, you know, and, and it can just be taking them to coffee every once in a while. Well, it, it's funny the the man that turned my career around was at a coffee shop and I used to go there for breakfast a couple times a week or at least once a week and he would be there at the counter mm-hmm. and we just sat down next to each other one time and I knew who he was. He's an older gentleman, a lot older at the time. He was probably in his 60s and I was probably in my 30s. Mm-hmm. But we struck up a really nice relationship and then I started meeting him there on a regular basis and he would help me and it turns out he was the national sales manager for a very large meatpacking company. Wow. Uh, and it turns out he was brilliant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we sat down and I said, you know, I'm really struggling with sales. And he said, well, tell me what you're doing, what you're trying to do, how you're working, and I'll help you. And I said, that'd mm-hmm. be great. So he became a mentor for me and and just volunteered his time. I mean, it, and he would, of course, never let me buy him breakfast. I didn't have any money anyway, but he would, he'd pick up breakfast and then he would mm-hmm. educate me. But the deal was I had to come back and tell him what I did. Ah. And, and I had to tell him how it worked, why I did what I did, what didn't work. And we discussed this stuff. And mm-hmm. it was great because he was an outside person. He had no... Um, he had no profitability in this deal. It was more just, hey, Gary, I'm here to help you. Right. Now, was he the one, because I'm, I'm looking on your website, was he the one who gave you, you call it the best advice that you ever got, that said, be the one in the room who wants to help people? Now, that was my dad. Ah, you know, and, and I love that because how many times are we that person? Probably not a lot. You know, we're we're going to that networking meeting that, you know, that that whatever it is that we're going to and we're thinking we have to help ourselves. You know, we're there to do business. Hello. That's why we're we're going, you know. And it's great. I get my little toy out. <laughs> um, you know, and and that's why we're there and instead, 
we need to be thinking about how can we help people? Because then, of course, the money will come. The referrals will come, the whatever it is, when you go in with that philosophy of giving. That was the game changer for me. I, I got into business and I struggled the first few years and I, I did okay and I was all right, but I wasn't very happy. I was working exceptionally hard and making money, but not all that excited about what was going on. And I really was missing the point of what I was doing in the insurance and financial services world. I was just trying to figure out how to, again, feed my family mm -hmm. and pay the rent and all that stuff. And so when my father and I had this conversation, I was, again, very new into business, definitely struggling and definitely not all that happy with how things were progressing. And he told me in a car ride back after I had failed a sale that we should have made, but we didn't make because, as my father put it, I wanted it more than the client. Mm -hmm. And he said, all you need to do is let him tell you what he wanted to do, but you didn't do that. You told him what he should be doing, and really all he saw was you making money, and right. he said no. Right. And that was painful, and I'll never forget that conversation. And that's when that whole conversation about being the one in the room that's trying to help people, and you'll do just fine. And quite mm -hmm. frankly, uh, I'm a slow learner. It took me a while to really get the <laughs> full meaning of that. Mm -hmm. But when I did, it was a game changer. My career just took off and went crazy, and it's really never stopped. It's, it's all about that. In fact, it's funny. Someone interviewed me the other day. And said, what do you think about when you wake up in the morning? And I said, okay, this is going to sound corny. And they said, well, that's okay. Tell me what it is. And I said, well, I said, you know, who can I help today? Mm -hmm. And they said, seriously, that's what you think about? And I said, mm -hmm. yeah, it really is. Right. I said, it's just how I'm built. I said, mm -hmm. it's, it's just it's just my model. So it's, it's interesting. Before this interview this morning, a, a client called up and he was telling me about his wife having some migraine headaches and they're trying mm -hmm. to do this and do that. And I said, you know, I said, I'm not a doctor, but I can tell you I've been in this world for a long time. I said, you might want to try something. And he said, what? I said, well, I have some friends of mine who have gotten rid of their migraines with acupuncture. Mm -hmm. And he said, you got to be kidding me. And I said, no. He said, and that worked. And I said, it was great for them. And I said, mm -hmm. one of them is a, a friend that works with me here. 35 years ago, she hasn't had a migraine in 35 years. Holy cow. And I said, that is pretty good telling proof. What do you think? And he said, man, I'm telling my wife because she's mm -hmm. really struggling and, and the, they're not coming up with an answer. So it's, you know, I already, I already had a good day. I talked to you and I, and I helped him solve a problem maybe. <laughs> right. So, you know, what more do you get out of life? You just do what you can do to help people. Mm -hmm. So Right. You know, and you, you didn't tell him. I'll I'll give you this information for 20 bucks or you know you weren't expecting something in return which I think is is one of the big things is people expect that in return you know I'll I'll help you but then you help me and you know it's uh, the other day I heard something along the lines of you know needy shows through all the time mm. you know and 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 we might actually do business with the the needy person but it's probably just once or twice because that that just it's it's not needy is not sexy <laughs> you know maybe that you know we look at it we go Ew. um you know you run from them right you know how many networking events do we go to where you see somebody and it's like um okay i'm gonna do everything i possibly can to not talk to that person and for whatever reason but typically it's because they're they're needy about something you know and and you know maybe they're just the bad part is sometimes they're just needing to to have a friend and you know so that's very bad that we ignored them but if it really is just that they're needy about business it's like um i, I need to go to the restroom <laughs> you know, yeah. or i see somebody over there i want to talk to you know all these various things because we we don't like needy but then we become needy and you know and, and that's how we approach a lot of things as opposed to how can i help you today and really mean how can I help you today without any strings attached, without expecting anything in return? Just how can I help you today? Yeah, it, it's funny. I had two referrals this week, and, and today's what, Wednesday. And I've mm -hmm. had two people come into the office, at least on one came in and one was on the phone with me. And both of them are entering retirement phase of their life and were given mm -hmm. my name by someone that I knew. And they were, they were told, call me because I'm a source of information and I might be able to help them figure out the best way to retire. And I did. I, I worked with one lady uh, Monday night for about an hour and a half, two hours, and we kind of went mm -hmm. through the entire program. And she looked at me and she said, you know, I've been thinking about this for years, and we got more accomplished in two hours than I have in the last few years. Right. And she said, I, I didn't know who to ask. I didn't know mm -hmm. what to say. 
Mm-hmm. And and it's funny, the other guy called today and said, hey, I'm thinking about taking my social security. I said, well, before you do that, tell me your life. Right, and he's right. telling me his life and he's going to do this. And I said, no, no, you don't want to take your social security yet. You want to wait a year. Mm-hmm. And I said, but it was just interesting. You, you get to help people. And, you know, that's that's a really great paycheck. And mm-hmm. it's one of those things where, you know, I don't know how much money I'll end up with in life and whatever it is it is. But I, that's not how I'm going to be measured. Deb. Mm-hmm. It's just not how I want to be measured. I just think, and and that's really what the book's about. It's just a way for people who are struggling to look at my book, read a chapter and say, hey man, that's me. I could do that. That guy could do that. I can do mm-hmm. this. That was really the whole emphasis and, and push behind doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it really is true that you can't take it with you. You know, you could, you could be a millionaire, a gazillionaire or whatever, you know, and, and all those various things. And even if they bury it with you, you're really not <laughs> taking it with you, um, you know, and, and but, you know, why not have that goodwill that, you know, that that sense of, oh, my gosh, I helped people. It, that's that is going to go with you. It, and it follows you, you know, money follows you, too. I mean, you know, you drive a nice car, you live in a nice house. That's great. But when you do things that are for other people. People find out about that, and yeah, right. more people ask, and mm-hmm. and that's okay too. But you, mm-hmm. you can always say no if it doesn't fit your, you know, your your wheelhouse. But it's mm-hmm. kind of cool, and and the impact of it. In fact, we do something really interesting, Deb. We do something called Angels on the Street, mm-hmm. and it's something that I cooked up a number of years ago. And Angels on the Street is off of a story. Uh, a fellow named Ted Gupp wrote a book called The Secret Gift, and it took place in Canton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. A man during the Depression um, saw all these people suffering, and it turns out that anonymously he sent these people checks. And the, <coughs> excuse me, the checks were for five dollars, mm-hmm. but back in the '30s, that's a lot. That's a lot of money. It was mm-hmm. a whole lot of money. You could do a lot of stuff with five bucks. I mean, inconceivable how many things you could do. So mm-hmm. we heard the story, and for years that it was an anonymous thing. No one knew who it was, and then all of a sudden. By accident, it was discovered who this gentleman was who was sending out these checks for Christmas. Well, mm-hmm. it turned out to be an Orthodox Jew who owned a store, a clothing store in Canton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And uh, just fascinating that this man would send these checks out for Christmas, but he did. And so a friend and I, Barry Edelman, again, the same friend, we were having lunch one day, and we decided that we were going to do our own version of that. And we started something called Angels on the Street. Mm-hmm. And what we did is we gave all of our employees cash. I gave mine 100 bucks a piece. And mm-hmm. I said, go out and find someone who's worse off than you, give it to them, and then come back and tell me who you gave it to and why you gave it to them and what happened. Mm-hmm. And so I gave that to my employees, and we've done this now four or five years. And the first year I made a couple of mistakes. One mistake is I didn't film it. The second mistake is I forgot to bring a lot of Kleenex. Oh, yeah. And the third mistake is I had no idea what that would do for team building in my organization. Mm. But I had more tears, more stories, more hugs just because of people finding people on the street who really Mm -hmm. needed help or finding something. And so it's, it's kind of that whole charitable thing and mm-hmm. and you know a hundred dollars is a lot of money but it isn't a lot of money so if you look at it but to the right person it's more money than they've ever seen in a very long time and so that's really what happened so mm-hmm. I, I look at charitable and i got that right from my father i mean this mm-hmm. all came from that dinner table that's that's who he was and and that's what he implanted in me mm-hmm. right you know and and it, you know, it's one of those things where you know somebody's got the hundred dollars. Well, maybe they split it twenty ways, and each person gets five. You know, or or whatever it is. You know, it's just it's it's all about how you help people. And you know, and, and folks, you know, we're 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 realists here. You know, if you help people and the word gets around, well, then people are thinking, well, okay, maybe I really should go talk to Gary about my finances. He seems like a really good guy. And you know, if they do, they do. If they don't, well, you know what? That's okay too. Yeah. I, I, a friend of mine once told me, some will, some won't, so what next? And, mm-hmm. and that has been a mantra of mine for many years. And and I feel that way. I said, you know, that's fine. Uh, there's a lot of people in the world. Some of them will work with me, some won't, and I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's kind of cool. But when you get to impact people, so the game plan behind the book was really, Deb, I just wanted to get these messages out. These people mm-hmm. had great stories. I mean, they overcame incredible adversity. And to do what they did after the adversity and kind of the creativeness of some of them, it's pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, and 
it it is something that one of the things that struck me as I was reading it was for many of them, they really had to overcome a lot. You know, we're we're not talking about people who were born with, say, the silver spoon in their mouth, you know, who had the business given to them. Um, You know, now, uh, you know, all these various things. It was people who really had to work to get where they are. And I don't know if that if it means more to them because of that, because it's funny when you see the people who kind of had it handed to them for whatever reason, you know, they don't seem to be the satisfied people. It does seem to be the people who had to struggle. And and for some, obviously, they had to struggle a lot, you know, and for others, it was, you know, okay, well, this is is going to happen. And and it wasn't, you know, painful and and teeth gnashing and all those various things. But, But it really was they had to overcome obstacles to get to where they are. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because some of the people that I interviewed that I didn't write about didn't have that happy uh, happiness tied to them. I mean, I didn't mm-hmm. see the joy in their life. Um, some some of them were massively wealthy, and they did some good things with money, but they weren't particularly happy people. They weren't satisfied mm-hmm. with their life, and they sort of lacked purpose. And and what I found about the people that I ended up writing about, all of them have purpose and had purpose. All of mm-hmm. them had something that just really made them click. And the passion, the purpose, that's really what it was all about. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it really was, you know, when when you read those stories, it was it was interesting because almost everyone thought, oh, I know somebody who is like that or, you know, all these various things, because we do. We know people who fit, you know, all of those stories, you know, and, and, and then, of course, it makes you think how many more people are out there that we have no idea about. It's it's pretty wild. And I've had some really cool emails from people who said, wow, I just read your book and mm-hmm. I just want to say thank you. In fact, one was really touching. I got an email from someone who I didn't really know, and at least not very well. I knew who he was, but really didn't know him. And he sent me an email and said, I've been working on this project at work for about seven years and I was just about ready to quit. Mm-hmm. And he said, and I picked up this book. Someone gave it to me as a present. I read your book. And I decided after finishing the book that I was not going to quit. I was going to stick with it. And subsequently sold whatever he was working on for a million and a half dollars to somebody. <clears throat> and he said, Gary, I was I was inches from quitting. Mm-hmm. He said, had I not read your book, I'm pretty sure I would not have gotten to this point. But mm-hmm. I'm a million and a half dollars richer because I finished your book. Holy schmoly. That's what I said. Absolutely did not. (laughs) Not, No, not not once. But he did he did shake my hand. It made your it made your soul feel good that day. Or how how they put it earlier, it made your heart feel good. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So it it obviously makes me very curious as to whether we're going to have the American Dream Revisited Part Two. Actually, my next book's very different. I I started working on it a while ago, and I'm nowhere near ready. In fact, I haven't written any chapters. I just have all these things outlined. But it's called What's Next? The Mental Side of Retirement. Hmm. And the reason that's happening is as I'm meeting all these people that are moving into retirement, I always ask this question, what's next? Mm-hmm. And again, so many of them have no idea. Just like they didn't know what their American dream was, they don't know what their future holds. Mm-hmm. And I find those people who don't know what they're going to do next have a tendency to get sick and die. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's right. not a good solution. So mm-hmm. I uh, I started asking questions and, and paying close attention and decided that I need to write this book. So that's going to be next book. Great, great. Well, I look forward to having you on when we can talk about that one, Um, because it is one of those things that, you know, retirement for probably a lot of my listeners is is approaching, Um, you know, and and some of us get forced into it. You know, you're you're in an industry of your employer, whatever, where they have a mandatory retirement age. And then what the heck do you do? Or it's accepted that when you hit X age, you're going to retire. And then it really, what the heck do I do? Um, it was funny. I was talking with my mom the other day about this with my dad, who, you know, he has since passed away, but he worked for the state of Colorado. And he, he always said that retiring was the absolute worst thing that ever happened to him. Um, he took an early retirement, but, you know, it really was now, what do I do? You know, his, his career really was his passion. And so when that was gone, 
what did he do? I mean, you know, and, and, and you see that so many times with people and, and it comes back to that dream. You know, maybe your dream was to be working in that industry, that field for that company, have your own business, whatever it was. And then when it ends, you have to have another dream. <laughs> you just hit it right on the head. <laughs> I, I segue mean, well. <laughs> you did good. No, but that's exactly what it is, too. And that's what they don't have. That's what the mm-hmm. people that I ask, I said, tell, so tell me, what's, what's next? What's your next dream? What do you want to do? They don't mm-hmm. know. <clears throat> but you got to have dreams. That's why I said it's interesting when you look at the American dream. Mine just keeps changing and evolving. And, and mm-hmm. it's funny. My first American dream was to get out of the house. I went right. out of the house in the worst way because I didn't get along that well with my dad. I was uh, a hippie of sorts, mm-hmm. and uh, and he was not real excited about that. Right. He so, was a World War II veteran. Yeah. He was, you know, he was in the financial industry. That's pretty buttoned down. Yeah, and I was uh, kind of not that kid. So anyway, uh-huh. uh, yeah, I was a bit of a hellraiser and and all those things that I was, and you know, I like rock and roll shows and all the stuff that went with them. So anyhow, mm-hmm. I uh, I did all that. And we definitely didn't get along very well. So I didn't work in a company. I worked for someone else for a number of years, five years, and Mm -hmm. earned enough money to not live at home. And that was one of my goals. Well, one of my other goals, and this is a strange one, is that I sold auto parts to waxes and polishes on the road. But I Mm -hmm. for all these dealerships. Well, there was a BMW dealer, which BMWs back then were like minuscule. How many? I mean, they didn't sell any to anybody. Mm -hmm. But there was a BMW on the floor that I really liked. And every... Every day that I went to that dealership, which is about once a week for five years, I'd see mm-hmm. these cars, and they'd change, obviously, but I liked the car. You coveted a BMW. I wanted one, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so one of my American dreams was to own a BMW. Mm-hmm. Maybe you a bit know, shallow, but not really. And but you know, and and I think that's something that people need to to come to terms with and accept is sometimes the American dream really is something that is physical, that is tangible. You know, it's you mentioned you know that that your parents were able to buy a bigger house. In the book, you talk about you know they were able to buy a car, and and I loved how they took it back and got a different color. <laughs> um, you know, and 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 for you, it was getting that BMW. You yes. know, and 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 that really is. Okay, folks, you know, maybe it is getting that promotion. That's that's an okay dream to have. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I I have a friend of mine. His dream was to go spend a month in Hawaii. They're leaving next week. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that was his dream. And I, I said, you know, that's a great dream. You're finally accomplishing something that you want to do for a long time. And we, mm-hmm. he said, we've never, they have family there. They've been there for a week, but they're going over for a full month. And, and so it. it's stuff like that. And and again, mm-hmm. I have no problem. I, I like, you know, I like what I like. So I go to Mocha's, you know, I, I have mm-hmm. my coffee shop run and, and that's a ritual of mine, a routine, mm-hmm. but I don't like to miss that routine, that ritual. It, it gives me mm-hmm. a sense of accomplishment. I sit down in the morning. I think think about what I'm doing. I did it this morning be, before mm-hmm. I got to work. I stopped at Starbucks this time. But I, you know, you just go where you go. The point, mm-hmm. though, is someone said, man, do you know how much money you spend on mochas? And I said, yeah, I know exactly how much. And they said, how much? Right. I said, yeah. I said, about 25 bucks a week because they run about mm-hmm. five bucks a one. Mm-hmm. And I said, and I'm good with it. He said, but do you know how much money that is? I said, yeah, I, I'm in a money business. I can do bad. Right. <laughs> and, and I love it. You know, that's always one of those things that financial planners tell you, you yeah. know, figure out your, your expenses and what could you do with that? You know, could you make coffee in your coffee pot at home for that? Well, yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, but it's not the experience that I want. Mm-hmm. And and so what I really look at is I'm big on experiences, Deb. And, and the more I, I do what I do, the more I'm interested in what experiences are. In fact, I'll give you a kind of cool story. There's a guy I didn't write about, but I knew him very well. And his name was Roger. Roger came to me many years ago and put a bunch of money with me. And, and we turned it into more. And at that point in time, he said, Gary, it's some point in time, I'm going to call you and I'm going to get money out of my, my policies and whatever I have. And I said, sure. Mm-hmm. And I didn't hear from him about that, but we'd talk every year. But finally, he calls me one day and says, Gary, I need $60,000. And I said, fine, mm-hmm. Roger. I said, do you mind if I ask you what you're going to do with it? And he said, no, I don't have any problem. And mm-hmm. so he told me and he said, I'm, I'm going to take my wife and we're going to fly around the world on an American Express deal. I said, you're going to fly around the world? And so he told me about this trip. It was 120000 He got sixty from someone else. And mm-hmm. he spent hundred and twenty grand flying around the world on an American Express luxury jet with other couples. And mm-hmm. they, yeah, I said, that is amazing. Every year, Roger would call me and he would do some kind of an experience with his family. He took him to Disney World. He took him on a cruise. He took him to Hawaii. 
I, he just, and when I talked to him the last time I talked to him, he's passed away quite a while ago. Um, he said to me, he said, you know, Gary, the one thing I always really appreciated. And I said, what's that, Roger? He said that having the money to have the money to give me the ability to do these experiences is what it was really all about. Mm-hmm. He said, it's just worked out spectacularly well. He said, I have had a really good life. Right. You know, and that's that's what it comes down to at the end. I mean, you know, it's, maybe that's what we should all want on our headstones. I had a really good life. Mm-hmm. I, I'm good with that. <laughs> that sounds mm-hmm. good yeah. a lot. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I pinch myself. I knock wood. Anything you want. I mean, I look and say, wow, I have been so fortunate, so lucky. Mm-hmm. And, and again, you know, have I worked hard? Of course I've worked hard. But I like working. And it's mm-hmm. part of what I like to do. But I like right. to play and have fun, too. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think so many people do get caught in the daily grind of I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to make money. I have to do this. I have to do that, that they forget, you know, what their dreams are. And then sometimes something happens to them. Um, My listeners know that, you know, several years ago I was diagnosed with cancer and it was one of these, oh, hey, it's stage zero, not going to be a a big deal. And then oopsie daisy, it's stage four. And then holy holy cow, you had catastrophic complications. Um, and I spent basically two years healing. Um, but wow. you talk about making somebody have a different point of view now. You know, I I want to be around different people. You know, my my goals and my dreams are different. Um, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things. And you hear about that, you know, with people who, you know, who who have those things. I mean, you talk in, in, the, in the book about the fact that, um, you know, there are sometimes that, you know, people aren't healthy and they know that and they know their time on earth is short. So they'd better make the, the most of it when they can. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's funny, you know, how things happen and why they happen. I was, I was thinking about Pegeen, the lady that was in, mm-hmm. uh, the Puerto Rican girl right. gang mm-hmm. and, and how she randomly picked Spain out of a hat. and, and ended up I, going, know, I love that. Yeah. I'm going to go live in, where's me in my hat, Spain? <laughs> Okay, and and then she made it. You know, she made a living and and survived mm-hmm. in a country where she didn't even speak the language. And just her story. And she's a wonderful person. She'd be a good interview for you. She's out of Jacksonville, and she's a, uh, you know actually that was she was when I was reading that. I thought, okay, I need to contact. her. Yeah, she's she's <laughs> a buddy, and she's a really good mm-hmm. lady. And in fact, she's sent me some interviews. I've sent her some because we click mm-hmm. on some different people, and I said, yeah, you really would like her. She's a great person to talk mm-hmm. to, and again, very positive and. Motivational, and so th- there's some really cool things out there, and and she's one of them. I I love talking to her, but the mm-hmm. randomness of how life works, and you know, all mm-hmm. of a sudden you you're facing what you're facing, and 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 you look at your life and you say, wow, what changes would I make if I could? Mm-hmm. And and that happened to me. I I uh, took a little helicopter ride um, in Colorado. We have a place out in Colorado, and I was life flighted to a, a hospital in, in Denver. You you took a non-helicopter uh, non, uh, you hadn't planned on. Uh, well, the weirdest thing about this is I do this thing called a wish list. And I give mm-hmm. this to my clients when they go to retire. I say, here's a wish list. What do you wish you did that you hadn't mm-hmm. done in your life? Well, one right. of mine was to ride a helicopter. It was not that way. No, mm-hmm. this was not the helicopter ride I was like, although, you wanted to be able to see, not yeah, be laying down. I was kind of late. Yeah, in fact, they finally <laughs> cranked up the thing so I could look out the window. It was a beautiful day. And uh, so I'm looking at the divide and I'm thinking, okay, is this the end of my life? Because mm-hmm. it turns out I had a very bad diagnosis. It wasn't what they said it was. In fact, it wasn't even close, but they sure scared the hell out of me. So anyway, oh. uh, and mm-hmm. my wife and son. So, mm-hmm. but, but the point is you're in that helicopter wherever you are and you're looking at your life and saying, okay, if I get a do-over, what am I going to do mm-hmm. different? Because I may need a do-over here, and if I don't get it, then you know what do I do? And it's funny, I got off of that helicopter, and they wheeled me in and did their things, and finally let me go. And and I remember the guy, the doctor, telling me that everything was okay, and how disappointed he was that they weren't going to get to do this major incredible (laughs) surgery. And I and I just thought, I won't say what I thought. (laughs) Right, fooey, fooey. Just clean that up very, very nicely. And uh, yeah, it wasn't exactly that. Word, Deb, but we're, mm-hmm. we're okay. It meant the same thing. Anyway, so uh-huh. I'm, I'm listening to him tell me, you know, that, yeah, I have good news and bad news, and here's the bad news you have this, and, and the good news is you don't need surgery. And I'm looking at him, and on the good news, he's got this huge frown on his face because right. he had this whole team of people sitting down uh-huh. going to make about 50 grand cutting me open. Um, and then I had a 
about a ten percent chance of survival. So it was, it, and it wasn't that at all. And it, uh-huh. but they just, but, but thank I, heavens for misdiagnosis. Oh hell yes, that was good. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but when you're in that in, in this position you were in or position I was in, and you're sitting there and you're saying, man, how do I reflect? What do I do? I'm reflecting mm-hmm. on my life, and what changes do I make? And and then you start making them. And you look mm-hmm. and you say, okay, I think I just have a better life now because right. I made these solutions. And and, mm-hmm. and one of them was, you brought up an interesting point too. When I talk about people in the book, one of the things they told me is that they got rid of their negative friends. Mm-hmm. And I didn't spend much time on that, but they definitely deep-sixed, Pegeen deep-sixed her gang because they were Oh, negative. definitely. Mm-hmm. And, and there were a lot of people that did the same thing. They had to get away from who they where they were at to mm-hmm. get with new people because the people around them were so negative and bringing them mm-hmm. down. And that made a big, big difference. So mentorship was big. Getting away from people that were negative influences, uh, definitely big. The other thing that was kind of cool, Deb, and I don't know if you picked up on this, but I love this one. Everyone I interviewed measured themselves differently than I thought they would measure themselves. And hmm. by that, they didn't measure themselves what they hadn't achieved. They looked back at where they started from and what they had accomplished. Mm-hmm. And and I found that to be such an interesting trait that all of them measured themselves that way. They didn't say, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't get that jet or I don't have this house or I didn't. They didn't do any of that. They looked and said, boy, Gary, I started with this and here's where I am today. And I mm-hmm. just look at this and say, what a miracle this has been. Right. You know, and, and I, that is kind of one of the things is, you know, we, we shouldn't be looking at the what ifs. You know, what if we had done this? What if that had happened? Because, you know, it, it's done, you know, and, and so thinking about that really does no good, except usually it makes you feel bad. <laughs> you know, what, what if I had gone in that career path? What if I had, you know, married that person? You know, what if, well, you know what? No, you know, don't don't spend your time going there. It's and it's fascinating, and that's what they pretty much all of them said in their own way, and it was just cool. The other thing that was neat, they all had a sense of humor, and and Mm -hmm. the funny thing about it is, it wasn't like a joke telling sense of humor. They were all making fun of themselves. Every right. every single one of them, it was just they would just say, "Oh, you won't believe the stupidest thing I did," and they would just mm-hmm. laugh. And it, and it wasn't stupid at the time; it was deadly mm-hmm. or devastating. But right. it was. But today or then, when I was interviewing mm-hmm. them, they just looked and say, "Oh, I can't believe I did this. It was so ridiculous. I should have right. known better." But mm-hmm. they all just were able to laugh at themselves and and mm-hmm. the ridiculous thing they did, which really wasn't ridiculous. It was just something they tried. Right. Well, you know, I want to make sure that we get, you know, another subject in here real quick because I think it's very important. It ties into to everything we've been talking about. You know, your book is The American Dream Revisited, and you have the American Dream Revisited Scholarship. Please tell us about that. <laughs> That's cool. So I, I'm sitting at Karma Cafe, listen to those three college students complain, and and even the fourth one, and they're all talking about college debt. And what I decided one morning when I was sitting at Karma again and months later, I'm sitting at Karma just thinking about something, and it hit me, and I said, wow, I, you know, I didn't write this book to get rich. I, I wrote the book because I wanted to get a message out, so I decided to take 20% of each book sold and send mm-hmm. it to I, – I formed a scholarship with called the American Dream Revisited Scholarship, and I do mm-hmm. that through the Ohio Foundation of Independent Colleges, which actually is throughout the entire nation. So anyone who's listening to this can go onto the website and find the college attack and they can go apply for the scholarship. And we mm-hmm. actually gave our first one away this year, which was I love it. very cool. You know, and sometimes it really does, you know, and and I have, you know, no idea how much you do, but you know, sometimes $500 makes all the difference, you know, when <clears throat> you know and and because we hear about scholarships that, you know, are $20,000 or full ride or you know all those various <clears throat> things. Well, it's the person who couldn't buy that book that they needed that sometimes is is who gets help the most. And I I haven't gone uh, crazy on it yet because I really said when I sell books, I'll put money in. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think we've funded 3,000 so far. 
Mm-hmm. So it was enough to give money away this year, and we're on track to do much better because someone just corporately just ordered 120 books, and someone else ordered 52. So I'm having a really good week. So we're very cool. We'll take the 20% of those profits and throw them at mm-hmm. scholarship, and it's really been fun. And I like what I'm doing. And I got a nice letter from someone who got their first scholarship. It was a really nice thank you note. That was kind of nice. Mm-hmm. You know, and. Sometimes it it really is just somebody likes knowing that somebody else out there cares. And I agree with that. And and it's nice because a hundred people applied and at least one online and eighteen actually went through the entire process. And mm-hmm. we picked one. And my goal really is to get the number up to a bigger number. I'd like mm-hmm. to make it more significant. But as as the man I worked with at the Ohio Foundation said, hey, what you're doing is huge, Gary. He said, you started mm-hmm. from nothing. And because, again, I was doing what those people were doing. I said, oh, I'd like to be out here. He said, wait a minute. Look where you started from. You start from zero. And mm-hmm. we're giving this away. And I said, oh, you know what? That's cool. That's that's mm-hmm. pretty good. I have, to, I have to use my own advice. So, mm-hmm. yeah. right. You know, and, and, and I love that your American dream is helping other people with their American dreams. Yeah, it really is. That, that's kind of what my juice is. That's what keeps me going every day. And, and that's what makes me happy. I, I like helping mm-hmm. people get where they want to get to. It's fun and it's right. exciting and dynamic. And, and I feel a sense of accomplishment. I mean, people come up and I get a lot of hugs and it's uh, in, even from men. Anyhow, but it's uh, a lot from men actually. And and the reason mm-hmm. is because I've just, I've helped a bunch of people and, and they've helped me because it's mm-hmm. how I feel, you know, my own net worth isn't about dollars. It's, you know, how do you mentally feel about what mm-hmm. you're doing? It's pretty, right. it's a good endorsement. Right. You know, and I mean, you have to have money. I mean, we're not saying yep. that because if you're worried about paying your bills, paying your mortgage, eating, you know, all the, then you're not able to focus on on something else. But maybe it is that, you know, I don't need a million dollars. You know what? Ten thousand is OK. You know, of course, we all buy the lottery tickets when the, when it gets really high and we like to dream. You know, it's always those fun dreams that you have. But it's, you know, and, and some of that may be, OK, folks, adjust your goals. <laughs> you know, totally. Would you be happy with, you know, much less than, than a million? And and why did you want that million? You know, if you were if you wanted to be a millionaire so that you could help people and re- OK, that's very different. If it's, you know, if you wanted a million dollars because your parents told you that was what success was, well, maybe that's not what it should be either. You know, it goes back to what I was saying about my my class reunion. You know, success is different for every single person. Oh, absolutely. And and some people, 10000 is a million dollars. And just like the $100 we do with angels on the street, you know, you give right. someone who doesn't have any money and they're trying to figure out how to eat 100 bucks, and it's like you just changed their entire life. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, what I did with mine this year was kind of cool. We I went to restaurants and I just mm-hmm. over-tipped dramatically. So I might have a $20 bill and leave a 30 or 40 bucks. And they would just flip that. them out. I mean, the waiter would mm-hmm. say, did you make a mistake? I said, no, no. I said, right. oh, yeah. Or we stayed in a hotel and we were in Akron and we were up there. Mm-hmm. This is my birthday. So we went up there and we spent mm-hmm. the night in Akron, which is 30 minutes away, which doesn't make any sense. But we had a good time. Anyway, so yeah. but we're in the hotel and we're walking out in the morning and this lady's out there cleaning, the, going to clean the room. And someone mm-hmm. had dropped rose petals all over the hallway for a wedding and she was on her knees picking them up. And and I'm looking, I'm saying, and she wasn't the youngest person I'd ever seen. And so I walked up and I gave her five bucks for cleaning the room. And mm-hmm. as I was turning the corner, Linda says, no, that's an angels on the street person. I said, man, you're right. So I went back uh-huh. and gave her another 20 and I thought she was mm-hmm. going to kiss me, uh, yeah. which would have been okay. Uh, you know, I was all right. But the point was, so we just kept trying to do these things that were dramatically over mm-hmm. the top with people that didn't expect them. And it was really fun to see the results. Mm-hmm. I had a, a guy that parked cars, you know, I don't know what they make, but it's not very much. And right. he parked my car. It was a terrible night. And mm-hmm. he said, it'll be $6. And I gave him a 20. And he said, okay. I said, keep the change. He looked at me and says, are mm-hmm. you serious? And I said, yeah. He said, you have no idea how cool mm-hmm. that is and how much I appreciate that. It's the small stuff. Mm-hmm. By the way, one of the neatest things that happened, one of my employees went to McDonald's and bought $100 worth of $10 gift cards. Mm-hmm. And then they went to a very, not a very ritzy end of town and gave out the $10 mm-hmm. gift cards to McDonald's and, mm-hmm. and said that it was just really amazing how much the people appreciated a $10 gift card to McDonald's. Right. You know, and for people who you know, who are thinking, oh my, I can't even afford that. 
smile at somebody oh. say thank you i mean you Huge. know all of those things are so important too i mean you know i i went through a drive through a couple of days ago and i smiled at somebody and i said thank you and she looked at me and she said you're the first person all day who said thank you <laughs> and yeah. i felt bad i mean i was like oh yeah it it's that's kind of why i did the the way i went this year because those people just get no no respect and 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 they work hard they work very hard for not mm-hmm. very much money and and again you're right a smile is, is every bit as important it's funny i was talking to a friend of mine the other day and he said for one week he decided he was going to smile at everyone he saw mm-hmm. i said how'd that work he said man is that hard it is <laughs> he said uh-huh. it is so hard gary i said what do you get he said i get a lot of smiles back and he said it's just really interesting to see the response of people when mm-hmm. you smile at them and you don't know them and they think you know right. some think you want something from them and you just walk mm-hmm. by and he said it's just yeah. really interesting to observe mm-hmm. Well, Gary, we could talk forever. And so I really do want to have you on the program again, especially when you get your next book done. Um, you know, and, and for everybody out there, be thinking, you know, what is your dream? What do you need to do to achieve it? What do you need to do, more importantly, to help other people achieve their dreams? And, you know, uh, Gary, tell people how they find you and connect with you online. Uh, Gary, GaryStorak.com. And I do have something really cool. On my website, if you go to GaryStorak.com, or you can mm-hmm. put the American Dream Revisited in. You'll get to it either way. But if you go to GarySorak.com, there is a scorecard that I offer that is the American Dream scorecard. And the beauty mm-hmm. of that is it allows you to look and see where you are with your American Dream, and it helps you reshape what your dream could be, and it shows you what dreams are and what dreams aren't. And you can grade yourself and see where you are in your own personal journey. Cool. I love it. And it's it. free. Well, it's a good price. And I'm, <laughs> free. I'm looking at it right here. It's on the books page of the American Dream slash books. So please, everybody, you know, go in and download that. So I am Deb Creer. I've been having absolutely a wonderful, delightful time talking with Gary Sirak today. And until next time, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.